0: But a song we sing feels we will die. You can make the mountains ring, or oh, make I together Stay listen You hold the key to love and fear all in your trembling pain Just one key unlocks them both it's there at your Together, try to love one another right now. Come on, people, now smile on your brother, everybody, get together.
1: to great speeches and interviews on Access Sacramento and The Voice. I'm Steve Lerman. Today's program is a debate. Is the two-party system making the U.S. ungovernable? Opponents of the two-party system argue that Americans are locked into evaluating every issue through a prism of left and right. They say that the country needs to break out of a system that has led to stagnation and a difficulty in finding common ground. Others counter that why the two-party system has its faults. It rose or Organically and has a long history of getting things done in the United States. Supporters say that the system is broad-based and does allow room for independents and third-party candidates.
2: false. The two-party system is making America ungovernable. Let's have it out. That's what we are here to debate under the auspices of Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We are at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University where we have two teams of debaters, two members each. Ariana Huffington and David Brooks are arguing for the motion. They want to convince you that the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Here to try to make nonsense of that argument, their opponents Zev Chaffetz and P.J. O'Rourke. Now, this is a debate. There will be a winner and a loser. And you, our live audience here at the Skirball Center, will be the judges. By the time the debate has ended, we will have asked you to vote two times, once before you've heard the arguments and once again afterward. And the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. So on to round one, opening statements by each debater in turn. And here to argue, to convince you that the two-party system is making America ungovernable, Arianna Huffington, now president and editor-in-chief, of the Huffington Post Media Group. Interestingly, Ariana, you were born in a country that now has five viable parties in its parliament. You came of age intellectually in a country that has three viable parties in its parliament. You're now living in a country that has two parties. Is there a trend, meaningful trend? <laughs>
3: Yes, I'm fast-moving towards (laughs) one-party (laughs) rule.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Arianna Huffington.
3: Thank you so much. Uh, David and I are here to convince you that indeed the two-party system has rendered this country ungovernable. And the evidence is all around us. Wherever you look, you see that we can only produce suboptimal solutions to our deepest crisis. And, you know, for many, many years, we've kind of postponed solving our big problems. We've postponed dealing with our deficit We've postponed dealing with the decline of the middle class. We've postponed dealing with our crumbling infrastructure. We've postponed dealing with our deteriorating education system. Well, we can no longer keep postponing dealing with these problems. So while the two-party system might have been, okay, during the ordinary times, we are not living in ordinary times right now. And the problem with the two-party system is that it has made us really all prisoners of conventional wisdom. It's made us kind of look at every political problem through that obsolete prism of right versus left. In fact, our political problems are not susceptible to that easy, completely reductionist way of looking at them. Let's take Afghanistan. The media consider anybody who wants to leave Afghanistan as a lefty. In fact, George Will, the Cato Institute, Pat Buchanan, George Scarborough, and many conservative intellectuals see no reason for us to be pursuing an unwinnable war at Huge expense. Let's look at reforming Wall Street. There are many good capitalists who sleep with a copy of Ayn Rand's books under their pillow. <laughs> Nevertheless, the two-party system makes that kind of thinking impossible. But look around. The favorability ratings of the two parties are constantly declining. We now have Dems at about 39% favorability rating and Republicans at 34%. And the last election, despite all the attention, despite all the media hoopla, only 42% of the electorate voted. And, you know, John Adams kind of predicted what would happen when he said that there is nothing addressed so much as a division of the republic into two great parties, each arranged under its leader and converting measures in opposition to each other. And the rise of social media, the rise of the internet, has made it possible for young people especially to connect with each other, to opt out often of politics and try to find solutions in their own communities, bypassing the political system. That's not ultimately healthy, because democracy is not a spectator sport. If we're going to overcome all these things, we need to actually bring more competition and more voices and fresh thinking to our political system. Because as Einstein put it, to paraphrase him, the problems that we are facing right now cannot be solved at the same level of thinking that created them. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Arianna Huffington. Our motion is the two-party system is making America... Ungovernable. And here to speak against the motion is P.J. O'Rourke, a journalist, a political satirist. Does it say that on your business card? Yes. He's yes. the author of thir- 13 books, including Don't Vote, It Just Encourages the Bastards. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, P.J. O'Rourke. Thank you. You know...
4: I agree with Ariana about the utter cowardice and perfect ineffectuality of the two major political parties in dealing with any of the political problems that we face. And I would simply concede the debate if I were able to imagine some other political party or independent candidate who would do a better job. It's like trying to imagine a politician who would get up on the campaign stump and say, I can't fix public education. The problem isn't underfunded. Or overcrowding, or teachers' unions, or absence of computer equipment in the classroom, the problem is your damn kids. <laughs> mm-hmm the problem is us damn voters. You know, it's not our not our political parties, be they few or many. We have voted ourselves more government benefits than we care to pay for. And we're broke. And, and you know, so are all the other democracies in the world, uh, no matter how many political parties they have. Now, I would argue in favor of America's two-party system, not because of America's two political parties, but because America doesn't really have political parties at all. I mean, if America American party platforms were backyard tree forts you would not let your children climb in them. You know, <laughs> what we have in America is two fundraising mechanisms for a pair of general human tendencies. Democrats are the party that says government can make us all richer, smarter, taller, thinner, get the crabgrass out of our lawns. You know, the Republicans are the party that says government doesn't work, and then they get elected and they prove it. You know? Now. <laughs> if the key question is governability two party system have yeah, done pretty well by world historical systems little glitch in 1860 but you know um and we're used to the idea uh, of political parties causing civil wars, Spain, Vietnam, <laughs> Nicaragua. But, you know, in the case of our own civil war, uh, both the Whigs and the Democrats split on the issue of slavery, thereby, in fact, actually delaying our civil war for more than a decade, and may, which may very well have ensured that the right side won in our civil war. Our two political parties, silly and stupid as they may be, uh, they've shown an ability to uh, reconstitute or replace themselves themselves when the nation needs it most to be completely outside the two-party system just deprives candidates of any need for a sort of broad appeal which is why america's third parties have been weird anti-masonic party trying to keep my dad from wearing a fez and riding around on a tiny motorcycle you know Uh, the greenback party they wanted money to be worth less that dream came through you know it's you know You know, in the matter of political systems, never believe that they can't get worse. And in the matter of our two-party political system, I would say dance with the one that brung you.
2: Thank you. Thank you, P.J. O'Rourke.
1: My fellow Americans, these are dangerous, (laughs) perilous, uncertain times. And I believe that uncertain times call for uncertain leadership. Now recently I've been thinking about my... My legacy and how my presidency will be remembered. For instance, uh, Ronald Reagan, morning in America. FDR, job. Richard Nixon, going to China. I'm going to tell you right now, with me, you're going to get all three. Every morning in America, jobs are going to China. And now, back to, is the two-party system making the U.S. ungovernable?
2: Here's where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have four debaters, two teams of two, who are fighting it out over this motion. The two-party system is making America ungovernable. Ungovernable, to argue that the two-party system is making America ungovernable, I want to introduce David Brooks, columnist, op-ed columnist from the New York Times and a commentator on the NewsHour. And, um, David, I find it interesting that your debating partner, your teammate, Arianna Huffington, started on the right and moved to the left, and you, as a uh, young man making your way through the world, started on the left and moved to the right. What, what happened in your case? Uh, wisdom. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, David Brooks.
5: Arianna, I can't explain. So... Ariana spoke about the broad dysfunction of our parties. I'm going to speak about the narrow uh, dysfunction. I cover politicians very closely, and I can tell you from this context, uh, politicians are all emotional freaks of one sort or another. Uh, They have what I call Lagaria Dementia, which is they talk so much they drive themselves insane. (laughs) Uh, but they do have these intense social antennae. Nonetheless, I would say, in general, they're better people than one would anticipate. Most of them are in it for the right reason, but they're stuck in a rotten system. They're stuck in our current two-party system, which forces them to behave in ways that are worse than they are. First of all, they cannot be entrepreneurial, they cannot think for themselves, because they have to hew the party line. They get every Tuesday, they go to a lunch, they get the message of the week, they have to parrot the message of the week. It's a soul-suck. They can't behave nicely or even get to know the people in the other party because they are unofficial barriers. Ariana talked about how the big problems are therefore not addressed because they are stuck in these little trenches. I would talk about today's story, the issue of the budget. We are facing a fiscal meltdown in this country and if you took individuals outside the party context that we have now, I bet we could all cut a deal. We could figure out what taxes need to go up and what spending needs to go down. But we're stuck in the t- this dysfunctional marriage where, first of all, 85% of the budget is completely off the table because neither party wants to touch it. And this problem has been building and building and building. We are completely unable to solve it because the Republicans refuse to raise taxes, which is going to have to happen. The Democrats refuse to talk about Medicare and Social Security. We are stuck and we are heading toward a national disaster. So the first thing we need to do is firstly get out of the system where we're stuck in these party ruts. The second thing we have to do is mobilize independence. We probably need a third party, but we certainly need a dealignment. We need more movements to come in and infect the parties so people are less human to these tribal parties, and that's what the parties have become. They are no longer the normal political groupings that they were 20 or 30 years ago. They've become tribes where your honor is attached to your tribe, and any compromise seems like a sign of shame and dishonor, and therefore they're not willing to do it. And then finally, we need a philosophy. We've got two parties in this country, but we've got three movements. The first movement is a liberal movement that believes in using government to enhance equality. The second movement is a conservative movement that believes in limited government to enhance freedom. But starting at the foundation of our republic, there were was a movement starting with Alexander Hamilton, going up to Abraham Lincoln, going up to Teddy Roosevelt, which believed in limited but energetic government to enhance social mobility. That centrist movement is completely unrepresented by the two parties, and yet it's where the largest percentage of Americans are. So if you think, if you take a look at the fiscal situation, if you take a look at some of these big issues, and you can see our current two-party system leading to a solution, you can vote for those guys. But if you can't see a plausible way out of our problems, I suggest you vote for us. Thank you. Thank you,
2: David Brooks. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. Our motion at this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. The two-party system is making America ungovernable. And here to argue against the motion. Zev Chaffetz, a columnist, the author of 12 books, the founding editor of the Jerusalem Report. Interesting to note, uh, we're talking about two-party system. Israel has proportional representation with, at this point, how many parties represented in parliament? Fourteen. And how, how's that working out? Great. <laughs>
6: Ladies and gentlemen, Zeph Chaffetz. People always say and have always said that uh, America is ungovernable and that these are times, as Ariana put it, which are extraordinary or different than other times and require extraordinary and brand new uh, solutions. Uh, But America has always been in unusual times. That's how it always seems to people when they're alive, that they're living in unprecedented times. Uh, in the 1920s, America confronted the prohibition, which made it seem that the country was ungovernable and also, uh, you know, no place to get a drink. Um, uh, in the 1930s, there was a Depression in this country, which uh, was far worse than the economic situation uh, that it pains today, obviously. In the 1940s, America was able to mobilize itself uh, to go to war against Nazi Germany and Japan, even though there was a strong sentiment in this country not to go to war, an America First sentiment, which was overcome. In the 1950s, we all, those of us who are old enough to remember, used to hide under our desks. But in the event, America won the Cold War. Um, In the 1960s, the halcyon days of our youth, of my team anyway, um, we not only were living in an ungovernable society, but we were contributing to it. uh, And happily. The 1970s were Watergate, a disaster. It was the end of American democracy. The president was forced to step down. Never happened before. Uh, Somehow the country survived those extraordinary times. And what brought it through each time was the two-party system, which is the stable and consistent system in this country. It's what provides stability for the United States. The American system is a resilient system. And the notion that this country is ungovernable is a media trope. It's not true. I can prove it to you if you want with statistics. The World is it the World Bank? I'm not so good at at my notes here. Uh, (laughs) Because they're in Hebrew and who can read? Seriously I'm reading backwards. It's not funny. Oh here it is. Okay. The World Bank index has it has a thing called the index of governability, which is so handy for a debate like this. The World Bank takes into account uh, one, two, three, four, five metrics: accountability and voice, effectiveness of the government, uh, the quality of regulation, the rule of law, and uh, the control of corruption. In all of those indices, uh, the United States scores above the 90th percentile in the world, uh, which is an A. In other words, the American system is a, uh, in compared, if you say compared to to what, in compared to you know utopia, it's a replaceable system. If you compare it to the rest of the systems in the world it's uh it's a pretty good system and it has lasted uh, a very long time
2: thank Uh you your time is up thank Thank you. you
6: and that concludes round one of this intelligence squared
2: u.s debate the team arguing for the motion has been arguing that, that we are stuck in, as as they have put it, an obsolete prism of right and left. And the team arguing has been saying, well, actually, we've been stuck before uh, in our long history, and we had a two-party system, and we worked through those crises, and the crises we're facing now are no more daunting relative to the system, and we'll get through again. I want to put to P.J. O'Rourke, I don't know if you're a, a founding father kind of guy, but your, your opponents have quoted John Adams as saying he dreaded the thought of... Uh, the, polit- the body politic dividing into a two-party system, and, and they're arguing that there's no room for many voices when uh, the structure is right and left. Can you take on that argument? Well, uh, Washington went
4: went 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 went, went further uh, than that. I, I have his quote around here someplace, written also in Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Washington warned against the spirit of party, period. He didn't, he, he didn't go so far as to just worry about two. And I would say that Americans themselves have always been a bit dubious uh, about both of the major political tendencies. And uh, there is no golden period that we can go back to in American history to find, uh, uh, you know, some sort of political system that would be better for us. The, the original uh, divide between Jefferson and the Democrats and, and, and the Federalists, Jefferson and Democrats were an unholy alliance of New York demagogues and Southern slave owners who favored states' rights. Meanwhile, the supposedly more respectable Federalists were the authors of the Alien Naturalization, Alien, and Sedition Acts and the first major political witch hunt uh, in the United States. I think Americans have always been quite aware that That both parties stink. Um, All right.
2: Well, let let, let me bring in Arianna Huffington to pick up. And
3: you know, P.J., I would argue that if we really believed what you believe now, throughout the course of American history, we would never have made any moves towards a more perfect union. Because when we had slavery, you would say, you know, it's as good as it gets. When women didn't have the vote, you would say, well, you know, it could have been worse. When we didn't have, when African Americans could not vote, you would say, well, you know, just think of it. In other countries, you know, it's just infinitely worse. And the world probably would have given us an A rating. <laughs> but, I don't know that that that. That World back A rating really worries me. And, you know, the idea that we are not living through unprecedented times, you know, is an unbelievably elitist uh, idea. But that can a- be, really? No, no. Let me just finish because okay. this is like from people who are comfortable. But just look at what's happening. You know, a hundred million Americans right now are worse off than their parents were. So, you're, so you're saying, age. Arianna,
2: we are in an ungoverned a situation that Absolutely. reflects ungovernability.
3: And also that uh, throughout our history, we've all of we've always aimed. To do better. We believe that the so
7: do- president stood in front of the jet planes, the rebels all settled. And democracy reigns. We defeated their army, taken control, dropped thousands of bombs, and they've taken their toll. The oil's on fire, just like the blood of a billion Muslims, dragged through the mud. And the world is safer with the dictator gone, and their lot will improve with our corporate pawn. The war is over. That's what he said. Go back to your business. We've buried the dead, and the war is over. Fatherless children have taken the street. All that remains is the sting of defeat. Homes are in ruins. Cancer is ripe. For soldiers and newborns, the end of life. Kids grown up with just hunger and fear. But lo, behold, the Yankees are here you people are gonna be free cause this land was made for Chevron and me and the war is over that's what he said just turn on your TV we've buried the dead and the war is over the government files are all up in fleet His victims of torture who remembers their names The past doesn't matter, but the future is bright As the Exxon refinery lights up the night History's looted like the library's shelves But we'll fill them with Bibles, be proud of ourselves Turn your schools into compounds, make room for us all If you're missing your legs, you can learn how to crawl The war is over That's what he said, forget it all happened. We've buried the dead and the war is over. And the price was worth it, yeah, we do it again. With bombs or with sanctions, kids, women, and men. Cause we have national interests and they must be met. We will enforce them by treaty or jet. And when time has passed and we've had some rest We'll find a new villain, cause that's what we do best Maybe a sultan or a grandson of Mal, But don't trouble your conscience Because as of now, the war is over That's what he said, just put it behind you We've buried the dead and the war is
1: over And now, messages from Access Sacramento.